Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than a royal scandal involving Di, Childs, and that other woman, Camilla, what's her face? Oh, she'll be at the wedding next week, you know what I mean. My name's Ash Rose, your host and guide on this, the original 1990s football podcast. Thank you very much for joining us and hitting that download button quicker than a Tony Daly run at the right wing. Go Tony Daly. It's been on the show. Check it out in the archive. Hope you're well. I am very well. Apologies, there's been a little gap between shows. Um, I've been doing one of those most stressful things in life, moving house. Yes, yeah, so there's been a bit of a blank two weeks while I've been getting it sorted, getting Wi-Fi done and dusted in my new house. Um, we have some leaks to deal with. That wasn't very fun, I'll tell you that. Watching water gush from your ceiling when you moved in your house for half an hour was one of the worst feelings I've ever had, actually. Um, not very 90s, not very relevant, but it's just one I thought I'd just share with you guys. But yeah, it's all sorted now. The house is almost as it is. My office isn't. That is all to come. The office that will be very 90s football inspired. I'll put some pics up when it's finished, when all the figures are out and all the posters and artwork are up and kits are hanging from the ceiling. That'll be all done. At the moment, it's literally just a desk and a computer and a few copies of Kick Magazine lying around. But that all to come. But thank you very much for indulging me and apologies that, yeah, we haven't been around. This week in the 90s, we'll be back next week, fresh with the guys. Joel and Matthew will be back with us. So look forward to that. Um, A special mention to Lee Adams, who was on our last show this week to the 90s and since has done that amazing charity walk from uh, Fulham to Birmingham. Now that is a bloody long way. Um, He's done that all in aid of the Calm Zone, so well done on that. Hope you raised loads of money. Uh, Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast last week and telling us all about it, and uh, I think you made some great contributions um, to the 90s memories of that week in the 90s when it was. Um, We've missed a few bits on this week in the 90s, so we'll do a little bit of mini catch-up on the next episode of that, Um, so look out for that. But today is a full-length show, yay! that so it's themed for your pleasure and as we are literally what less than a month no not quite almost less than a month away from the world cup in russia 2018 it, this is our first kind of world cup inspired show we'll do a few of these we have done reviews of the tournaments already so if you go back in the archives and have a look we did a show really early on on italian 90 where we had kevin sheedy uh, we did one in usa 94 where we spoke to daniel amacacci and i think for 98 we had sean bartlett as well so some great memories from those guys we also had our special 50th episode with alexi lalas go back and listen to that where he talks a lot about the 1994 world cup but we will do more we've got a couple of players um in the can that we're going to be talking to um that will help us in our world cup episodes but if you've got anything we'd like us to talk about specifically uh world cup themed around that time then do let us know i'm sure we'll be getting into it on this week in the 90s as well as we go through june and july but yeah lots of world cup content to come the first of which is today and yes, it's a kit episode. Yes, we could not do one. How could we not do a kit episode? And it's timed perfectly because there's a brand new book out from friend of the show. And he joins us today. He's the oracle of kit design, Mr. John Devlin of True Colours. He has a brand new book out. I'm holding it in my hand. It's one of the few things I've unpacked because I can't wait to finally get stuck into it. I've had a good flick through. Um, haven't properly read it cover to cover, but I'm going to over the next few days. True Colours, international football kits. Basically, John's gone through the ages on some of the top nations in the world and looked at their kits there's amazing illustrations on there from all the top 20 countries going through the ages obviously the best ones are in the 90s 
So do yeah, look, look out for that on our Twitter feed. John tells us about it. Um, we may even be sorting a competition, so look out for that on at AK90s on our Twitter uh, feed. That We may do a competition to win a book, just sorting the last logistics of that out with the guys. Um, but yeah, so bearing that in mind, we thought as John has a new book out, we haven't done a kit episode for a while. I think the last time we did one was with John. We did our top five kits of the 1990s. Yes, I know you know which will be number one. It was USA 94. And guess what? I talk about that again today. But what we were going to do, we've literally gone through the three tournaments. So 1990, 94 and 98. And just talked about all the kits from that tournament. Kind of in summary of what we liked, what we didn't like, what was memorable, wasn't so memorable, and looked to every kit from every group in every World Cup in the 1990s. That is the theme of today's show. So yeah, I mean, obviously, if you're a kit geek, you're going to love it, but there's still some little tidbits if you're not. I mean, we do try and talk as general as possible. We haven't gone too nitty gritty about it. It's just good looking back at the memories of those kits from those World Cups, as well as the kind of what they look like. And yes, me waxing lyrical about some kit in 1994 as well. And outside of that, we also got a great interview as well. We speak to former Leeds, Derby, Chelsea, Torino and England squad member of 1990, Tony Dorigo himself is also a guest on today's show. So before we get into the meaty kit goodness, uh, let me remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at AK90s and on Facebook as well, where there's a nice gallery, actually. If you want to look at cool football stickers um, from all of our guests that we've had on the show in all, well, we're closing in on 100 episodes. We're not far off. I'm trying to think out what we're going to do for 100 episode. But we, all the guys that have been on, there's a gallery on our Facebook page of all the people that have had on the show in their sticker form. So talking to stickers, how are you doing on your Panini album? Have everyone collecting? I have kind of been half collecting. I've been so busy with the move and stuff. I haven't kind of gone full on with it this year. But I've got a few there. I've got a few doubles. So if any swaps, you know, let me know. Got got a need and all that. Um, I will be doing a little bit of sticker stuff with uh, Greg Lansdowne, the sticker oracle. We've got the kit oracle on today, but yeah, Greg, the sticker oracle. We're gonna we're kind of working on a project. We hope that will be sorted before the World Cup. It's taken a few scheduling problems, but look out for that. It's something that we're going to do. Um, I got off a bit of tangent there, didn't I? What was I was promoting the uh, the new housework stuff um so if you're a subscriber on itunes you know where to you know where to go you know what to do give us a five star rating and a review on itunes it really really does help us the more we get the more we can go keep going with our 90s ride we've got so much more to do especially on this week in the 90s where we're only just getting started we're only on episode 11 and we've got a year's worth of that to talk about so yeah if you are an itunes subscriber stick a review on there it will be much appreciated so let's go with it. Let's talk about football kits. We do sort of touch on the new ones, but we are talking Italia 90, USA 94, yay, and France 98. Looking back at the bad, the good, the ugly, the beautiful, the crazy, George Campos as well, all included on today's show with me, Ash Rose, and the great John Devling. And of course, Tony Dorigo joins us as well for a quick chat. Enjoy the show, and of course, keep it 90s. Sit back and enjoy a nostalgic ride through the decade that truly changed the face of football. If the 90s are now retro, then it's time for a celebration. Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. 
Oh, we're back for a full-length show. Sorry, I know we've been away for a while. As I said in my intro, I've been moving house, blah, blah, blah. You don't want to hear it. What you want to hear about is some nice new, well, not new, some classic kits. Come on, it's retro, it's 90s. That's what we talk about on here. And we thought we'd get into the World Cup fever. We're less than, what, 30-odd days or whatever it is from the start of the World Cup. But we're going back in time to... A decade where, I mean, they're my three favourite World Cups. They're going to be, obviously. And we're going to talk World Cup kits. And if we're talking kits, there's only one man in the universe that we need on this show to talk to kits about with us. He is famous for the brilliant, brilliant True Colours books. And he's got a new one out. Yay! Which we're going to hear all about very, very shortly. Welcome back to Alive and Kicking, Mr. John Devlin. How you doing, John? I'm good, thanks, Ash. Yeah, how are you? I'm very well, yes. I'm good. good. Excellent. Settled in this uh, new way of life in my move, but no one wants to hear about that. But um, <laughs> people want to hear about your new uh, your new book, your new adventure into into kits. So tell us about. I've got it literally sitting next to me because I was lucky enough to have a sneak peek of the copy. True Colors International Football Kits. John, plug away because everyone oh, should own this book. Thank you. Well, it's out on the seventeenth of May, which is is um, very very soon. You had one of the very first copies, I think. Oh, actually, Ash. thank you very much. Uh, yeah, I don't know how that. I don't know how you angled that. <laughs> Um, it's basically 20 of the world's greatest teams um, kit histories from 1966 to date. So we've got Brazil, France, Italy, all the home nations. So it's updates from the True Colours 2 book, the England, Scotland, Ireland, Northern Ireland and Wales. Um, and just ploughing through these archives, looking at the great designs, the great stories, players who wore it, um, all illustrated, loads of photos as well. Um, I think there's over 1,300 new kit illustrations in there, so it's a, it's quite a mammoth tome. Mammoth, which is, mammoth uh, task yeah. for you as well. How did how long did 1,300 kits take? Yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot of work. International kits as well. I had a fair bit of research done and a fair a fair bit of knowledge, but again, it's really delving into the um, the archives and some teams. Great examples of Mexico, USA. It's really hard to to get every single kit. So I'm not going to put my hand out and say there's everything in there, yeah. but it's a. It, I'm hoping it's a comprehensive enough guide. But you know, Ash, looking at how football was back in the you know 70s, 80s, 90s, so many one-off games and yeah. kits popped up out of nowhere. It's um, it's really really tough. YouTube has been my saviour. That's been the real joy of playing through fixture after fixture on youtube so um but it's been it's been wonderful but it's been about been about a year all in all but solid work in a year yeah before we talk about what we're going to talk about 90s kits and stuff is was there a kit that you discovered along the way that surprised you that you'd never seen and it was was really like oh god where did that come from yeah do you know the big the best story for me in the world cup in the world cup in the kids book in true colors is the the ussr russian story the fact the sheer volume of shirts the um, Soviet Union and then Russia war. I think it's something like when they first switched from CIS to Russia, and uh, Reebok was supplying the kit then, there's something like 17 kits in three years. It's just an extraordinary turnaround. Yeah, I'm looking at them now, yeah. So I'm looking at going, the, it's like sort of seven, yeah, early 90s you're talking, aren't you? Yeah, this, yeah. that's right. Yeah, and you're going you're going back. They, they wear a shirt and then they think, oh, do you know what, we'll go back to the other one. And it's <laughs> chopping and changing. The same thing happened in the Soviet Union due to their kind of unorthodox uh, deal with Adidas. They almost wore whatever was hanging about. So mm. there's no consistency through it. But it was it was a nightmare to put together, but fun to look at. Once you've seen the story spread out, you think, wow. So that was the that was a real surprise for me, was quite how eclectic that Russian story 
that Russian kit story is. Mm-hmm. And how apt for this summer as well. Um, what do you think of the, the kits over the, that have been released for this World Cup? I think they're quite nice, quite retro looking, aren't they? They are. They're a mixed bag. Um, I think the strongest ones are coming out as the uh, the Adidas retro yeah. designs. There's a few things I'm, you know, query about it, but I think um, there's some the, the, the idea has been executed immaculately. The, the, the way that they've updated the designs and just given them a little tweak. Most of them are in the, in the new book. We, I think the Awake kits hadn't been launched yet, so they're not in there. Um, but the attention to detail is great. There's a lot of smaller brands in there as well, which is good to see. And not yeah. a lot. There's, there's enough there to make it, to add a little bit of spice to uh, the, the, the biggie, the big brands, you know. But um, yeah, on the, on the overall, I think they're pretty, it's a pretty, pretty strong lineup. They are a pretty strong lineup. I think the Germany one is obviously the away kit. I think that's my that's been my yeah. favourite so far. I'm not, I'm not a fan of the home kit. I know what they've tried to do, okay. and, and I think we'll talk about that home kit in, in just a second. Obviously, one of the most iconic yeah, sure. 1990s kicks. But I don't. I think if they'd been uh, like in the colours of the flag rather than just plain black, I think it would have worked. I don't know. Just yeah, I, I think there's there's stronger restrictions now from mm. FIFA on representing the flag on kits. So there's a. I, I don't quite know why, but there's there's all sorts of um, sub rules and everything else, and you can't actually. Um, sort of emblazon the flag across your jersey like you once were able to. So I think by tonally doing it, they've again, you know, had a design problem and tried to try to crack it. Mm. Well, let's talk 1990s kits because that's what we're here to talk about instead. Um, but just to remind everyone, the book fight will say at the end as well. But the book's out next week and available from all the usual places. Yeah, it should be Amazon as well, Bloomsbury's website, Waterstones. Yeah, should be everywhere. Right. Well, we'll get we'll put it on the Twitter page. I think I put it on there already, but we'll be plugging it all next week uh, oh, upon sorry. release date because it's a fantastic read as always, John. Thank um, you. Mate. Thank you. But what we're going to do today? So we're going to look at the the kit. We're getting World Cup fever. We're going to look a kind of summary of the kits from the three World Cup tournaments uh, across the decade. Um, Lots to talk about, really is. Um, very much different. I think they always go in eras and the, the fashion of that era as well as we get to 94 and all the colourfulness. And I think I might mention something to do with the USA at that point as well, as people will know on this podcast. Um, but that start, Italia 90, 1990, uh, just coming back out of the 80s as first World Cup of the 90s. Before we sort of delve into kind of looking at each group, as a as a whole, what were your your opinions of the kits from Italia ninety, John? Oh, really, really strong. I think um, I was a, I was a massive fan of, of of the kits at the time. I remember with I'd wager I've been then twenty felt tip pens. I was drawing them with felt tip <laughs> pens. You know, um, I, I thought it was a wonderful tournament for kits. It straddled the eighties and the nineties, so it gave a nod to what was going to come. But you still had these remnants from the 80s there as well. So it was a lovely mixed bag. Um, and, and yeah, really rich kit designs, I think. Mm. Well, let's, let's take a look. We'll look at each group. Um, we don't have to go too in-depth because we could be here a while otherwise with us two talk, talking about so. kids. <laughs> but we can say, you know, the, what we liked, what we didn't like and things like that. So Group A was uh, Italy, Austria, Czechoslovakia and the United States. I mean, I think the Italy one is remembered very, very fondly. The Diodora kit because it's the first sort of Baggio-inspired kit as well. Um the Czechoslovakia one is interesting, isn't it? It's not got a badge, yeah. but it's got a, the flag on it due to some of the conflict that was happening in the country at the time. Um, well, that's it. There's always a political subtext with a lot of these stories as well, isn't there? Yeah, but this is the first that we're going to see from Adidas as well. They had a lot of... This is, like you mean, sort of owed and what we'll see a lot of in the 90s, the crazy patterns. So the mm. Czechoslovakia kit had this kind of sort of squarish thing that came in from the shoulder and kind of 
decorated in a strange pattern, didn't it? Yeah, it was completely abstract. And and at the time, I think it was the first World Cup where we had designs that made you think, oh, you know, Sharpie, take a breath. What's what's happening here? We'd seen it in Euro 88, but this was the first World Cup where there were some brave, brave designs. Mm. And and the, the Austria one's very odd. The the lines yeah. they've got, it look, almost looks like a few roads going off into the distance, doesn't it? Well, it kind of reminds me of a stick of rock being twisted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's rock, and it, it's got, especially on the away kit, the red and white away kit. Um, but again, it, it's, you know, considering Austria had always been fairly sedate with their kits up until that point, it was a big, bold statement. And that, I think this is what we begin to see, is statements being made on the kit front here. Mm, yeah, that was from Puma, that one. And then last, I mean, as far as USA kits go, and again, we're going to get to that, this was probably the most boring kit especially yeah, that I, era yeah the us i mean i quite like it but it's it's actually enormous as well yeah. i think the neckline it, it, i'm not saying it starts on the shoulders but it's a huge plunging v-neck it's um really really big design and again they had a little bit of chopping and changing it's it, it sounds like a really bad plug here it is in the book they do kind of go backwards and forwards a little bit with with kits at this point um but it's, um, yeah, they an interesting design. What I did like is that the away kit, which I don't think was worn in the tournament, it has the Adidas logo on the other side. So you kind of put them together and they almost mirror each other, which mm, is quite... That's is quite interesting. Nice. Yeah, because mm. a, a lot of kits, well, all these kits, I think, they did the classic, which I, th I think we've spoke about this before, that you're a fan of I'm Not Quiet, where the home and away mirror each other, but they yes. do change the colours. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. They, literally, they literally did that. And, of course, we mentioned Italy as well. Italy, at this point, is important to remember, was still um, not permitting a manufacturer's logo on the shirt. Mm. So replicas had Deodora. Official players' versions didn't. Ah, oh, that's why you're here, those little nuggets. Yeah, <laughs> but that is, a, yeah, I really like that Italy shirt. It's one of my favourites. Uh, moving on to Group B then. Oh, this, one of my favourite shirts of all time. And for those who, like myself, were at the uh, Fabric of Football event uh, last week, I know, John, you went as well. Yes. Um, this yeah. was one of my highlights, seeing the Cameroon shirt from yeah. 1990. I think the, the thing with this shirt, not only is it a bold colour scheme of the of the colours of the Cameroon flag, for the fact that we... I went into that World Cup, not even heard of Cameroon at the time. The fact they came in all guns blazing, it, the big collar, the big lion badge. It's for me. It's probably one of the best of this World Cup, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, do, do you know what? You've you've hit the nail on the head there. I think this sums up all that's thrilling about World Cup kits: a nation you're not familiar with, a colour scheme that's kind of, to be fair, quite um, what's the word? Not offensive to British eyes, but you know we don't often see those colours together working in no. a kit. Right? Huge badge, and of course, when there's a great story attached to it, that's the missing ingredient to create an iconic kit. Mm. So you had that first game against Argentina, you know, which we all remember from that period. And there you go, a brilliant, brilliant kit. Mm, the, the goal from Oman Baik, I remember that the one 0 win against yeah. Argentina. I mean, the Argentina kit. I mean, it's another classic in terms of the design. Everyone looks out for the Argentina kit. Um, at every World Cup. I don't think this is quite the heights of 86, this Adidas version, um, but it's, it's still a decent sort of Argentina kit, do you think? Yeah, decent enough. They, again, they went through some little cosmetic tweaks pre-tournament and post-tournament as well. But yeah, it, it does the job, I think. Yeah. yeah, I think they're also at the mercy, and I know this being a QPR fan as well, that when you've got a striped or a hooped shirt, to get them distinctly different is always hard. 
it, it's, it's a, you've, you've got to work that little bit harder. Yeah, it's either, you know, fade in the stripes, change the collar. You know, it depends if you've got manufacturers and I've just seen the new Crystal Palace shirt from Puma and they've gone for a fadey effect for next season, haven't they, to make that a little bit different. So, so yeah. it's always mm. difficult. Um, little Shorts as well was worn by Maradona. Um, the Way version for Argentina, that was the all blue one, wasn't it? They wore in the final. That's right, yeah. They didn't wear it in the group stages. Yeah. But, yeah, that was, that, do you know what? I think in some respects that worked better than the home. Yeah, I don't no, not a big fan of that. Um, Romania. Yeah. Had no badge on their back, on their kit again. As we mentioned, it was a, a political reason. Um, they didn't. They went out into. They had the red, and it was kind of the template that was used for the USA as well. So again, quite That's a right. simple Adidas template at the time. Um, and then Russia, as we mentioned already, um, they had a similar template to the Czechoslovakia, which is weird. Yeah, exactly the same. And of course, a lot of people, you know, there's, there's a Russian Adidas shirt with like the uh, like a paint splattered kind of abstract look going around. Um, often touted for sale on various places, but they never actually wore it. That this that that was that was going to be their 1990 shirt, but in the end, they went for the, the kind of geometric diamond abstract. Um, effect that the checks went for as well yeah I, I appreciate that that's all for the 90s and mm-hmm. the only other thing I was going to mention was the Cameroon reverse gear which again was literally the reverse it was bright yeah. yellow um, not quite <laughs> not quite the same effect for some reason but still the, the template itself beautiful from the Cameroon yeah, yeah from no the great great design um, group, moving on to group C now this this one interests me when I was doing a bit of research and coming up to this podcast yes I even do some research sometimes um, the, the Brazil shirt this is a nice shirt but it's not one that I ever really see mentioned a lot. Like with the great Brazil shirts, we'll talk about the two in the other tournament um, a bit later. But this one, very yeah. shiny, I remember it being for some reason. Um, Topper, is that who makes it? Is that the kit maker right, at the time? Yeah. But not one that really gets a mention when you talk about the great Brazil kits, the 70s ones, the one in 94 and 98. What, where does this one stand for you in the, in the Brazil kits? The thing that leaps out at me at this shirt is that it's, apart from the fabric aside, it's, it's really, really dated. By mm. 1990, that inset collar design with the V is, you know, we first saw that in what, I don't know, 71, 17? So it's a very 70s looking design. Um, and I quite like the World Cup because it throws up designs that you think, oh, they're still wearing a collar. You know, what's, what's happening there? That you get the odd notion. But for a, a country with the gravitas and success of Brazil, to be wearing quite an older looking shirt was, was an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Um, so that might be why it's kind of, it's, it's a difficult one to pimp to date accurately. You yeah. Know? I think someone tweeted actually earlier of the 1986 shirt when we said talking about the show and that is pretty similar, if not the same shirt. As... Yeah. I'd need to, I haven't got my book just on my desk at the minute, but I'd need to double check that very slight, very gradual move on. Yeah. The main thing with Brazil was, was logo placement and they had the, um, a secret kind of sponsor logo on there as well. Uh, as it Cafe de Brazil, I think it was. <laughs> really? That crept onto bad. So and that and the top logo would move around a little bit as well. Oh, okay. But it's um yeah, I think that's why I think it's it's looking by nineteen ninety, it's looking a little bit little bit old. A little bit dated, yeah. Topper, who, what happened to them? Who were they where were they from? I think they were the South American brand. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, I believe sense. they're still doing some stuff, but they oh. yeah, specialise in that, that neck of the woods. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, the, the other kit I really want to talk about in this group, and this is especially pains to you because you being a Scotland fan, the Scotland home kit is, an, is a very nice uh, kit. It really takes me back to that era with the button-up yeah. collar and the, the flashes of red on the sleeves. But the away kit is one of those, what? <laughs> Do you remember? What were they thinking with that? I love it. It's one of those proper standout away kits from... Um, from that era what where does it stand with you because i know I, scotland have had some crazy away kits recently but for me this is one of the best 
do you know what? I, I don't. If people often say this to me when I say, "What's your favourite kit?" and they say, oh, "I don't care," as long as they win, I don't care what they wear. When you lose to one 0 to Costa Rica <laughs> in that kit, I, I seriously wouldn't have minded what they wore had they won that game. Um, I've grown to love the kit a bit more. At the time, though, I can't help but link it to that result. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, always, I always quote this Andy Roxburgh, the Scotland boss, said after the game, he was shell-shocked, you know, and he said, well, next game we're wearing our home kit, he said, and I always, I never like to see Scotland in anything but navy blue. And I thought it's one of those rare occasions where the manager talks about the kit, because yeah. people don't talk about kit, only, only people like us, you know. <laughs> only geeks like us talk about yeah, managers. Yeah. yeah, so I thought it was very interesting that they he was implying that there was a degree of being unsettled by wearing that shirt. I don't know. I don't know. But it's um I've grown to I've grown a bit more fond of Ash, I think. For those who don't know what kit we're talking about, it's a uh, white base kit that has these vertical yellow stripes around it. Then the top part of it has two big navy stripes. Yeah, Gones yeah. did. We'll put it on Twitter. But it's a very unusual um, away kit for Scotland that is linked to that famous result. Costa Rica wore some slightly random kits as well. That the all, the all red, you know, red and white home, and then the Juventus away. It was quite a different combo, wasn't it? That's right. Uh, yeah, they've um, there's, there's different different stories as to why they chose black and white um i was always under the impression it was it was something to do with being in italy and wearing the Juventus style but someone else has said fairly recently as well that it's in tribute to um one of their domestic sides who'd recently gone gone out of business stopped stopped stop playing so i don't know really, but it's um it's an odd one yeah it's a really odd and i think they were a couple of different versions of it as well so you see that occasionally in world cups where a team will wear one kit and then the next game the colour will be slightly different, but essentially it's the same design. So some interesting little um, things get thrown up. Yeah, again, you mentioned the collar. That's a South American team going for that big collar as well. So maybe South America hadn't quite caught up with the rest of the world in kit design at that point. Yeah. Um, the only other the other team in the group was Sweden, a very basic Adidas V-neck kit, um, both in their sort of traditional home and away colours. Um, so let's move on to Group D. Um, well, Group D has Germany. Now, <laughs> this kit... T- I think there's three iconic kits of this World Cup. We've mentioned the Cameroon one. Uh, England is clearly the other one that we'll mention in a second. But I know the, the guys at Football Attic rate this as the best kit of all time. It's seen as the, the Germany kit, as we've already mentioned. The new one is kind of based on that. Does it rank as highly for you in the, the kit rankings, the Germany one? Or West Germany, as it was then? I think it's wonderful. I think it's, again, it's, um, it's a shirt that straddles the old era and the new era. And it, it kind of, it says, okay traditionally plain white but now we're going to get a bit of national branding in there um i believe it was the manager um it was his kind of inspiration to do that uh, to start introducing the german flag colors but it's such a it's such a great design and the designer um herself said it was about creating round corners was that that was her kind of philosophy for that design so it was a case of really pushing what a football shirt could be and what it could look like yeah, it's, it is a beautiful kit. And I was looking at it then, then when you were talking, it's like if you actually take those lines off it, it's a really sort of dull looking shirt. It really, that I know it's obvious yeah. to say to, that that makes it, but it's a very basic template. Kind of reminds me of a Derby kit from the mid 2000s, actually, because um, oh. it was made, made by Adidas. But, um, but have you heard the interesting theory that someone came up with in the shirt, the, uh, the ups and downs of the, the German flag? It traces Germany's World Cup fortunes uh, in the. Okay. Uh, it's completely accidental, but if you take sort of you know seventy seventy four and, and carry on from there, you can trace back the last uh, one, two, three, four, five World Cups. 
Could be, could well be, but it is mm. an iconic shirt. I know you see a lot of replicas going around, but it's nothing like the original shirt. And I think, yeah, I think when people do these lists, it's definitely one that should be always being included in the sort of top enchilance of, of kit of, of that era, uh, especially of this World Cup as well. Um, it was Colombia and Yugoslavia. Again, we've gone back to the Adidas templates for these two. Slightly two different, slightly templates, but of that era, nothing from really that I would you know to write home about they were decent looking shirts um but i want to mention the iran kit because oh, sorry not the iran uh, united arid Eremits as it was that's an interesting design from adidas from uh so it's got some red bits coming down the sleeves and then goes into white but it's got these weird squares again it's this kind of mix into the 90s isn't it that's right i mean it's a, again a very bold big blocks of colour on there as well. France actually wore the same design in, in blue, red and white. Um, but the, the United Arab Emirates, yeah, it's, it's it's an extraordinary design really, isn't it? And it's, I guess, looking at it from a design point of view, you're trying to see what thinking is behind it. Why why are they there? What's happening? You, you've got three blocks obviously representing Adidas's three stripes, but it's kind of fun to try and get under the skin of the designer and think, why? What's going on? Why? How did you come up with that? So, yeah, but very, again, a very strong looking kit. Mm. I don't know why as well, and this is probably a little bit naive of me, but you don't expect teams, as as, as no disrespect, small nation like UAE to have such a flamboyant kit. I don't know if that makes that the Adidas would have gone to that length for a team that they probably wouldn't see a lot of in the tournament, I guess. But Do you know what? Yeah, it's very true. And actually, if you look through some of the tournaments, we'll see it, I'm sure, in the other two World Cups, is that a lot of the, lot of the smaller teams will be wearing maybe a smaller brand. Yeah. And and it's almost like they've tried... Oh, it sounds really patronising. I don't mean it to. But the brand are really trying hard to make it as outrageous and flashy yeah, as possible. Yeah, yeah. No, well, so, you, so it's interesting that Adidas would just do it with kind of grace, don't they, and start, mm, Yeah. You know, Massive badge on that kit as well. If you look at the actual <laughs> shirt, I've just gone. I've just Google imaged the shirt. It's absolutely huge. That badge. Um, group E of Italia ninety. I think this is probably the worst group in terms of kit design. There's not a lot of innovation going. It's very very simple. So we're looking at Spain, Korea, uh, Belgium, and Uruguay. Each kit. I mean, very simple. I think you know the Belgian one. The away one's quite nice with the yeah. the. Uh, flag colours down the side of the shoulders um, Rubicon is a name I hadn't heard for a while or if ever if I'm honest um, for the South Korea or North Korea as it was at the time um, and then Puma for Uruguay and Coxball for Spain but each kit very simple very traditional yeah. there is a market for that but when you look at them as a whole it, it, against the rest of them that group kind of is quite sedated isn't it it is and I think I, I don't know much about the Korean kit but certainly Belgium Uruguay and Spain all of them were very subtle move-ons from what they'd worn previously um, the biggest difference for me I think was the Belgian kit had the Adidas logo and the and the, the, uh, the crest switched around on opposite sides didn't quite find out why that was um it's a real anomaly that that annoys uh, me <laughs> does it, have i drawn that attention yeah attention i've only just noticed that. that yeah and that that annoys me just i'm a traditionalist that's i mean i don't mind the badge in the center we went through yeah. that in the late 90s but that that just seems odd to me it's an odd it's an odd one normally it happens with teamwork kits because normally the adidas logo is where the over over the heart where the badge is yeah so i don't know quite what the deal was there someone will know hopefully someone can tell us but it's um but the spain kit's it's okay, it's good, but it's it's only a very subtle move on, isn't it? It's all very subtle at this point. Yeah, no, no, very subtle on that one. Um, and then finishing Italia 90, this is a great 
a group for kits. Not only, I mean, the England kit is one of the best England kits of all time, possibly number one in terms of home kits for me. Um, it's the Umbro, it's New Order, it's World in Motion, it's the Diamonds across the... Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just fabulous. It's a fabulous, fabulous kit. Um, but I think Ireland's is very underrated as well, the Adidas uh, effort. And even Holland's is not quite 88, but it's a, a very nice kit. But, John, I know it's it's a little bit painful if you talk about England, but that England kit, I mean, it, it again, along with the Germany one, it's, uh, it's a work of art, isn't it? Definitely. I mean, it's a real... Umbro were so on top of their game at that point. And I think the one thing that strikes me looking at it afresh now is just how well integrated Umbro and England were. Because the two, do you know what I mean? The two identities meshed together so well. um, And neither one overshadowed the other. It was was almost in perfect balance, I think. Um, A real partnership of you know, national identity and manufacturer. But it is great, isn't it? It's a real real iconic design. Yeah, it's just the little touches on that England kit, like the, the, the lines that are on the collar where you button up and then the Umbro diamonds around the sleeves and the Umbro symbols on the shorts. It was very tailored to England. I love a kit that's not, that is tailored to a team and not, yeah. oh, this is a template, we'll just change the colours. It's like my biggest pet peeve when it comes to, to football kits. So I love the fact that that kit was tailored to that. It's a, yeah, and the away kit, the red one was just mirrored. The third kit is even nicer. Not quite 92, but, you know, cowardly line, as you call it, John. <laughs> you remember these things very well. I know, I do. I always remember. Yeah, it's a kit thing. I remember that. I love that kit. Um, but, yeah, that is possibly, yeah, one of the best England kits of all time. Definitely. Um, the Island one, I think, like you said about kits associated with a tournament as well, I think this is quite closely linked to their great run to the quarterfinals and that penalty shootout win in Romania. It's a lovely Adidas kit. I love the collar that's got the orange in it. It really stands out, don't you? Well, that's that's the thing. I was I was lucky enough to be on the on the guest panel at Fabric of Football up in Manchester, and I was asked what makes an iconic kit. And the one thing I, I it's you know when you're on the spot, it slipped my mind to answer. You've got great design, um, contemporary, traditional, but if if it sums up a, a mood and events that happen on the pitch, that's the final ingredient that makes a shirt iconic. That gives it that final push over the line. Do you know what I mean? It's um, so when you look at uh, the island one. You can't help but remember that that adventure through that World Cup, and there you go. Iconic design is made. Definitely, and again, the Dutch one, nice collar, but maybe a little bit retro. And the Egypt kits, kind of the one kit in that group that's a bit. Mm, the green kit's quite nice, but yeah, um, Cameroon Tem. It's it's the same, if not very similar to the Cameroon design, but it's not it hasn't quite got that magic to it. No, it hasn't. Right. Uh, before we move on then to the next two tournaments, we've got an interview as well, and it segues into nineteen ninety very nice because he played in the nineteen ninety World Cup. He was played in the third place playoff for England against Italy. He is former England Leeds and Chelsea defender, championship winner in ninety two, talking to us earlier this week. It's Tony Dorigo talking to Alive and Kicking. This is John Harks, and you're listening to Alive and Kicking, the nineties football podcast. Remember, keep it nineties. Joining me on the line now, absolute pleasure to talk to someone who was a big face of the 1990s football scene. First seen at Italian 90 for us 90s fans. He is former Chelsea lead Torino and Derby star. Tony Dorigo, welcome to the show, Tony. Hi. Good, good for you to join us. We're taking you back to the 1990s. Let's start at the World Cup because at the time you were at Chelsea, um, people obviously know that you were born in Australia. So how did it come about you playing for England? And let's take you to Italian 90 and tell us about your memories of that. 
Uh, yes, well, um, certainly, clearly, England were really struggling. They needed an Aussie to come and help them at that stage. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I'll get that one out of the way nice and early. Uh, yeah, um, I was actually I came across um, when I was fifteen, and I think at eighteen, Australia asked me to play for them. Uh, but the calendars, the international calendars, certainly weren't aligned uh, as they are certainly today. So it was very, very difficult to do that. But fortunately, two, three years afterwards, England uh, approached me and said, uh, if I just waited for a five years uh, residency, I could apply for citizenship. Uh, and that's what I did. So uh, fortunately, I then uh, became a British citizen. I chose England and I played for the under-21s, captain the under-21s. And then went on through and um, yeah got to, into the full full squad, uh, and of course the 1990 World Cup was the you know the, the huge pinnacle of that. I think everyone dreams, don't they, of uh, of playing at a World Cup. But uh, I think to play in Italy was kind of extra special as well. My father, uh, being Italian, obviously the name Dorigo. Um, so yeah, all in all, it was just a, an incredible experience. And of course the way that it went, uh, you know, we just got better and better as the tournament went on and. Uh, and looking back, you know, oh, so close. But uh, yet again, those pesky Germans, they, uh, they beat us on penalties. But uh, yeah, it was an, an incredible experience. Mm. People often compare England squads. I mean, for me, I think that's one of the strongest. We, we had lots of leaders. How do you rate that, that squad at the time? Yeah, actually, it's interesting you say that, about the leaders. Um, I, I think that is really important. You know, strong characters. Uh, and they weren't just one or two. You know, you think Terry Butcher and, of course, Brian Robson, unfortunately, had to, you know, drop out of that. But, uh, you know, when they come up top, there was a... Uh, a load, but I think we had a great balance about that uh, that team as well. You know, it had a bit of everything. Um, so you, you mentioned the, the leaders in their experience at the back, goal scorers, you know, tricky wingers, um, you know, athleticism. Uh, yeah, it, it had everything. Uh, Peter Beardsley, of course, you know, sitting behind and making things uh, tick. Um, yeah, it, it was exciting. And of course, going to three at the back, uh, when we didn't really play like that, uh, you know, up into the tournament. Uh, just worked a treat, and you had Paul Parker you know, come in and did a fantastic man marking job on you know whoever the star striker was for the opposition, and uh, uh, and off we went. And you know who can forget the, the great David Platt goals uh, you know along the way. So uh, yeah, I, I look at that side and think, wow, it just had a bit of you know a bit of everything. And I think probably you look at the England team today and think it's you know it's probably missing one or two uh, two bits to it. You know that creativity uh, you know behind Harry Kane and what have you. And uh, yeah, I, I think uh, that squad certainly had it. Definitely, I, I agree with you. Let's switch domestically. I mean, at, at the turn of the, the decade of the 90s, you're at Chelsea, but you left um, quite early to go to Leeds. What, what, what was the decision there? Was the, I know that, that there's been rumoured contracts and negotiations that didn't go your way. What, what led you to lead Chelsea and go on to Leeds? Uh, well, at the time, it was very frustrating because um, Chelsea, you know, great club they are, great support. Uh, but there was a lot of, you know, internal issues, shall we say. And I think a lot of the players were... Uh, you know what? Not very uh, settled at that point, and we had some really, really good players as well. And that was the frustrating thing that uh, you know we could go and win six, seven, eight games on the trot, but then equally we could you know go and lose a few, uh, you know, quite a few on the trot, and then that's kind of what happened. And uh, uh, you know a lot of unrest kind of behind the scenes. So I, I felt it was uh, we weren't kind of fulfilling our potential. Uh, you know we we weren't looking like we could uh, you know certainly challenge at the top. And uh, I suppose wherever I. Uh, I went or wanted to go. At least you, you, you try and win. You know, you you try and uh, you know win the the big prizes. It's not about you know just surviving. It's about mm. trying to win something. And I just looked at uh, at Chelsea at that time and I thought, you know what, we we are we're kind of struggling here. And um, the environment, I suppose, for for winning just wasn't there. It's as simple as that. So uh, we we did get relegated the first season. We come back up 
uh, and won by a long way, and then got back into the uh, you know the old Division One, and uh, we looked good. We looked okay. We finished kind of above mid table, and but you know I, I just never thought that uh, we had the right tools really to progress, and hence why um, you know I decided to to leave. I think uh, Glasgow Rangers were trying to sign me uh, for a year or two before that, but. Um, you know, I decided uh, to see what happens at the end of my contract and go from there. And that's when Leeds came in, and, and um, they were really positive. Uh, Howard Wilkinson, uh, you know, was determined to to, to get me, in and uh, it made me feel important and wanted, I suppose. And uh, then you look at the Leeds uh, team and uh, sort of their their history at that time. They they managed to win the old second division. They they got up and they finished, I think, fourth or something in that first season. So you're thinking, you know what, they're a, they're a club on the up. Uh, they then told me who they were going to buy. So it was Steve Hodge, you know, Rod Wallace, uh, other kind of England players. So um, yeah, I, I thought, okay, let's uh, let's give this one a go. Mm. And of course, it was it was a great decision because they won the league in the, the old first division, the last one of the old first division. What was it like being part of that team? As you mentioned, a great balance of players, young lads coming through like Gary Speed and David Batty, and then pros like McAllister and Strachan. What was it like of, of that blend and that team? Oh, it was absolutely ideal. You know, simple as that. And if you think of that side, you're quite right. You you got the midfield when you had you know Strack and all that experience, and you know a tricky winger that really you know led by example. Yet alongside him, you had David Batty, who was uh, you know one of the unsung heroes. Absolutely a fantastic midfielder to play against because you know he would dominate. He would you know win those tackles and really kick us off as a team. Yet when we had the ball, the next one along was Gary McAllister, who was fantastic with both feet, great pass to the ball. And then in front of me was the great Gary Speed, who could mm. do everything. You know, he great in the air, great ability and great work ethic. Um, you know, what a balance of a, a mature fall that was. And uh, then we had obviously two very attacking fullbacks in myself and Mel Sterling. You know, two absolutely solid, great pros at centre half. And then the big man, the little man up top. You know, Lee Chapman and, uh, and Rod Wallace. So uh, all of that sprinkled with, of course, Steve Hodge, Eric Cantona came on towards the, you know, the end of the season as well. Um, yeah, we, we had a, a great team, and uh, I think. Um, when, you know, you look at uh, the great players, but I think you know what it's all about having a great team. You know, some very, very uh, you know good players in there as well, and I think that's what we had. And uh, we didn't think, well, obviously, we would uh, we would win it. We you know, we started off uh, quite well, and then just grew and grew in confidence, and it become you know more of a reality. It was us and Manchester United, and uh, you know, they slipped up, and we uh, we had one little slip up, but then finished really strong, and kind of won it by four points. So yeah, what well, it was just uh, an amazing experience. I, I think. Uh, to, to win over that, to, you know, length, to win win titles, it, you know, really take something. And we, uh, yeah, that team had that in abundance, had plenty. You mentioned Eric as well. Uh, you must have some stories about Mr. Cantona. I mean, what was he like coming in and the reputation and what we'd obviously go on to know later in the decade, but what was he like as a, as a man and, and what was he like to play with? I'm not sure this podcast is long enough to be quite frank, but yeah, <laughs> let's, let's, let's start with one or two bits. I mean, uh, Eric, I knew Eric from... Um, my time when I was under 21s I played against France at Highbury uh, we drew 2-2 and he scored both goals so I kind of knew quite a bit about him uh, then of course on farm and ball and all this sort of stuff so uh, uh, when he turned up one thing that was was uh, ugh, key and stood out a mile we, we played a, uh, a training game um, so rather than 11 v 11 it was 8 v 8 and the goals were pushed up and uh, were on the 18 yard box so it was a, you know, a shortened pitch and uh, the keeper threw the ball out to the right-hand side to Eric. And while it was kind of in the air, it didn't hit the ground. It, it dropped over his right shoulder. And he has caught it on the volley and hit it 40 yards back across into the top corner. So it didn't even touch the ground. It was just one of the most incredible goals I have ever, ever seen. Now, normally when, when one of your teammates scores a goal like that, they run around like, like idiots, basically. 
Eric just jogged back to the middle and said, okay, let's start again. Let's go. You know, this is what I do. And we thought, okay, that's what you do. We like a bit of that. So, uh, so, we, so we knew he had great ability, but I think clearly that the way that we played, uh, and obviously him and Howard Wilkinson, uh, they had slightly you know, different ideas on things. So, yeah, Eric was learning about the, the British game. Uh, and we certainly didn't, I suppose, get the best out of him. Um, but you know, when he did come on, he had uh, you know one or two moments which, uh, which certainly helped us. But uh, you know, to be fair, that season we had a lot of players that were probably more important. But certainly, Eric, you know, um, added a few bits uh, to us that season. But uh, yeah, you know, some player. I think it was quite interesting that um, uh, towards the end of his tenure at Leeds, he suddenly lost the ability to understand English, which I thought was quite funny. <laughs> but, but, but anyway, he just sulked and off he went. But uh, it was a real shame because uh, the players certainly, you know, we took to him. We thought he was uh, he was great. And, uh, you know, he, he gave us something a bit extra, obviously. But, um, of course, that's all history because he goes to Manchester United and has uh, such good youngsters around him. And he was the Pied Piper that then, uh, you know, led them uh, a merry dance. Absolutely. That was fantastic. And, uh, yeah, he was he was the fulcrum of that. You stayed at Leeds until 97, then you had a, a spell with Torino. What was that like playing in Italy, especially given your, your roots and your father's uh, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, you're right. I, I absolutely loved it. I really did. I think I always uh, probably wanted to experience it uh, earlier in my career, but of course, as a fullback, it was a little bit difficult. I had one or two half chances of going uh, early, but never quite right. Uh, but yeah, so I thought, uh, you know what, I didn't really want to leave Leeds, but uh, I think the contract they offered me uh, I had one or two injuries at the time and just uh, didn't make any sense at all. Uh, I actually almost stayed and signed for Middlesbrough. Uh, that was the kind of a plan that the last moment Torino came in. Uh, Graham Souness was the manager and I thought, you know what, let's go and, uh, and give it a go. I always, always wanted to. And uh, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was um, a great, I suppose, education as well. You know, even at, uh, at 33 or 32, whenever I went, it was... Um, uh, a learning period which um, w- was brilliant technically they were you know super very different way of thinking about the game how they prepared as well uh, clearly now you know it's kind of certainly the uh, the English game has caught up to that with so many foreign influences but then it, you know, it wasn't quite as apparent so um, yep really really enjoyed it I was a player of the year there as well so uh, you know it, everything went uh, rather well but I have to say they are crazy about their football and um, yeah, certainly very intense, and you could certainly understand the big Italian players how they would enjoy. I think coming to England and London, especially, to get a little bit lost because there you really are in a, a goldfish bowl. Hmm. We always ask players on the show um, uh, this question: Who was the best player you played with of the decade, and the best player you played against? Uh, the best player I played with uh, would have to be Paul Gascoigne, hmm. um, just who is a you know the phenomenal. Um, the natural talent that he had. And I think when you get the best players in England together, you know, you're, you're playing with the likes of, obviously, the Glenn Hoddles, the Robsons uh, when I first joined, but then later on, um, you know, the Linickers and what have you. It's um, it's amazing to see a, a player kind of stand out head and shoulders above and have so much time on the ball. And that's what Gadget did. He was just a, you know, a wonderfully uh, talented individual who, um, yeah, was great to play with. Um, to play against... Um, Oh, that's a tough one. I think um, certainly at one point, um, Gordon Strachan, when he played at Manchester United, um, obviously I became his teammate, so I could get a bit closer to him and kick him a bit. But unfortunately, <laughs> when he was at Man United, I kind of got nowhere near him. Uh, and simply because of the fact that um, he was such a clever player, you know, he really was always thinking about the game. And as a fullback, I liked nothing more than really as a, as a winger to take me on. And it's like a one-on-one right. You know, I always back myself to, to always come out on top. But 
whereas Strack wouldn't come anywhere near me. And he would go on the pitch, uh, like a bit deeper and a bit inside, where I didn't really want to go. So at the time I would start to actually get yeah, nice and tight, it was too late. I left a big hole in behind me. The ball would be behind me, and I'm then kind of running back. And then Strack would pick the ball up in a dangerous area with, with 10 yards of space. So I'd be turning around again, trying to get him again, and, and too late, he's gone. So, yeah, it was a real thinking thinking man's player, and I thought to play against him was very frustrating because I couldn't you know, really get anywhere near him. Obviously, they're in a very good United side, but, um, yeah, he's certainly uh, one that's, uh, that stirs out. And what are you up to these days? I know you're doing a lot of the media around across the world. Where, where would people find you these days? I do, yes. Um, so now I've actually, I've actually moved back to Leeds. So I actually go to the uh, the Leeds games uh, a lot more. So I do a bit of a uh, bit of work for the, the club there, which I really enjoy. Just going back and uh, and seeing them. Uh, I also do some BT Sport co-coms. Uh, I work for another two or three companies like that, and I go out to the Middle East and uh, do some TV uh, work out there as well. So uh, yeah, so basically TV, radio, and uh, and get down to Leeds as often as I can. Brilliant. Well, it's been great speaking to you, Tony. Thank you very much for those memories and. Uh, Speak to you soon. More than welcome. Thank you. Chris, thanks a lot. This is Gary Stevens, and you're listening to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. Remember, keep it 90s. Good stuff there from Tony. Good to hear about that World Cup from someone who played in it. Right, we're moving on now to the all guns blazing, the colourfulness, the wonderfulness of USA 1994. Um, For me, John, a kit high of the decade just for the ridiculousness of the colourfulness. I mean, the fact that it was in America makes it just all out anyway, doesn't it? And the ridiculousness of it and how they go over the top on these things. But for kits as well, they really kind of got into the zeitgeist of that World Cup, didn't they? Oh, they did. I mean, again, when we when we talk about a kit, an international kit that sums up the mood of the country, the, na- the nation, the character of the country, the USA ones, it's just, it's just fantastic. <laughs> it's, it's so good, you know? Um, and the home and away. And, and the fact that you can't really tell which is the home and which is the away because they chop and change a bit, it feels like. And together, they're just such a great pair. It's just a brilliant, brilliant time for America and Adidas. Yeah, let's, let's talk about Group A then. So, yeah, America, I mean, I've talked to, I must, there was a show that goes past that I don't mention the USA 94. Like you say, I always say away kit, but it, what, to this day, people are still sometimes refer to it as the home because they wore it and they chop and change. Um, but the home the home kit that was meant to be, the stripes one, is also very, very nice as well. But the away yes. one, the denim glory, the stars. I mean, we had Alexi Lalas on this show and he even admitted that it, it, the, it was a bit of a faux pas, but they wanted it to be. They wanted to make a statement. They wanted it to, to be wow. their, their World Cup and this was a reason for it, um, this denim effect. And it's one that's never really been repeated. I really wanted um, Adidas to try and do it for the 2014 World Cup where it had been 20 years since as well but they didn't go down that route they did produce a nice kit but it wasn't quite up to that standard um, it's just, I, I, I can't I, I run out of superlatives for this kit but oh, I totally agree it's, it's, it's perfect isn't it for, the, for that time for that nation and the sport it's, it's perfect yeah love it and the funny story of the I was at the, as I said the Fabric of Football event the first day the, the Thursday and I was doing a little bit of an Instagram story which I don't do many of but I'm not I'm, I'm still down with the kids a little bit and I was I was <laughs> filming that shirt which I own anyway but I was filming it for the story blah 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 and I, I must be saying something this is the greatest kit of all time and then somebody turned to me and said are you Ash Rose <laughs> <laughs> which was really and I just assumed it was one of the guys that worked there because I've spoke to the you know I, 
jackets, uh, classic football shirts. I regularly speak to them. I haven't met them in person. So yeah. halfway through the conversation, I realised he wasn't someone who worked there. He literally just knew me from the fact that I was taking a picture of that kit and my voice from the podcast. So um, shout out to that guy. I haven't got his name in front of me. He did tweet me afterwards, but it was one of those really surreal experiences and made me laugh that clearly I talk about this kit a lot, but they associated me instantly with the USA 94 away kit. But the home kit, as we said, is also another work of art as well. Um, yeah. Elsewhere in the group, we saw the first template of this Adidas. I mean, I want to moan at templates, but I quite like this one where we had the three stripes coming up from the bottom of the kit and the shorts. Romania wore it um, in, in this one. Are you a fan of that template? Do you know what? I'm not as... I preferred the uh, the Adidas equipment range that came out just just before it. Yeah, the Liverpool war, yeah. Yeah, because one thing I find with, the, with this World Cup, it actually... And of course, you know, we're looking at every four years, the real interesting kit stuff almost happened in that four-year period. So by the time 94 came around, again, we were, we were setting a new um, chapter. And I don't, I think some of them fall a bit short. So I think the real interesting kits in the football world actually straddled 1990 and 94. Mm. I must stop using the word straddled. I've used that a couple <laughs> of times. Um, but yeah it's fine and the way Romania do it with again you're looking at colour aren't you and the colours are so strong that it, it's it's unforgettable so it's not a bad design but it's not my favourite Adidas template mm. and then we had the, the Umbro which is I've only just realised is the same as the Brazil kit the Colombia kit that yeah. they had um, which is it's not quite as striking as the Brazil one, which I'll talk about in a minute. But again, the nice they've up, the, the, pot, the polo collar was back, but updated rather than what we were talking about before in 1990. Um, and Switzerland, who had a lotto kit, which was a, a very unusual name um, that we saw at World Cups. But again, quite a simple polo effect kit, but it was quite hard for the others to stand out in this group above the USA, wasn't it? Definitely. And, and isn't it interesting to look at how sober the Swiss kit is compared mm. to the, the, the drunken extravagant, extravagance <laughs> of the USA. Not that they're drunks, but you know what I mean. It's that, you know, it's so different. It's a different world almost. Yeah, it really, really is. Uh, moving on to Group B then, I'll stop talking about the USA 94 kit. Um, we talked about Cameroon already. Uh, this Cameroon kit, n- not quite as striking as 1990. I should start using the word striking as well. Striking and straddled. <laughs> That's going to be the name of the show. Um, but, but this one's made by Mitre, which is really random because I, yeah. obviously an English make who made the footballs uh, in the early 90s and still, I think they, yeah, think still at this point they were still making the Ultimax for the Premier League. Um, nice collar, little uh, symbols along the cuffs and again, those striking green, red and yellow. Um, underrated? I think this kit's quite underrated. I think it is. Do you know what? This is one that's kind of slipped under my radar a bit. I, You know, in re- revising for the show, I thought, oh, yeah, you know, I'd forgotten that one. And it is. It's 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 very elegant, very um, beautifully put together. I think that's the strength of it. So, yeah, and it, and it, and nice juxtaposition to the, the flair that goes on elsewhere. Yeah. And their badge had changed. They actually had a proper badge this time, didn't they? They didn't quite have the, the massive lion that they had, which was brilliant at um, Italian yeah. 90, but they had a bit more of a proper badge. Um, and of course, we must mention as well, Ash, just, just thinking about it, this is the first World Cup with numbers on the front of the shirts of course. as well. Yeah, it is, yeah. We had only something else. And I think if you look at some of those shirts with the, uh, the Sweden shirt, which is obviously the same as um, uh, Romania, it's the you're looking at another element on the shirt to battle with. So you've got big panels of colour, badges, and now you've got an extra number, and it's all 
you know, it's beginning to get a little bit crowded, isn't it? Yeah, it is a little bit crowded. It's interesting how the different company uses it as well, because the, mm. the the uh, Adidas template has the central badge. So the badge, it's like all one symbol. It's Adidas yeah. on the top, then the badge, then the number in this kind of column in the middle of the shirt. Um, the Sweden one, like you say, was the, the template. It was a white away kit for Sweden, which was an interesting one. Um, the two other teams in that group, two outstanding kits for me. For different reasons maybe the brazil kit which we've uh, touched on already but this for me when we again we talk about the iconic kits of the tournament again it helps that they won it so you remember that kit for a longer period um, because they were there for their final but yeah. the polo effect the shiny material I always remember because i had this kit at the time i wish i still had it i need to i've always spent too much money on a romario shirt that was at the uh, fabric of football shop pop-up shop around oh, the did you? almost if i oh. had, almost bought it had it in my hand then went can't do this can't do this had to run away very very quickly but i will get it at one point but the so it had kind of the brazil um badge kind of sort of uh, what's the term engraved i suppose it is in inside the fabric yeah written across the the the, uh, badge and then yeah it's just it's an elegant really nice kit the way kits even not i love the blue one i think when we did our top five kits of the decade that was in mind we talked about that so brazil's best kit of the decade for me how about you john yeah definitely i think this is an absolute cracker again there's little stories involved there i love the fact i love that kind of shadow um jacquard print of the brazil badge they have three badges on there yeah. running diagonally down to, sim- to, to um, symbolise their three World Cup victories. Of course, uh, this isn't a spoiler, I'm sure. They won that World Cup. So the shirt was updated with four Brazil badges. So it was just really well thought through. So the versions after the World Cup, same design, but with four badges going up it. Mm-hmm. So brilliant. And of course, everyone thinks the away kit was a mirrored version of this, and it wasn't. The the, the mirrored version of this in blue actually came after the World Cup um, with the four, the four crests. So Brazil wore, again, a very functional, very strong design, but not a direct copy of the home shirt. Now, didn't the away shirt didn't have the badge it had the letters didn't it in there in the air engraving on their shirt if i remember rightly um yes as i say it was a slightly different yeah a slightly different, a geometric umbrella of you know throwing around ideas of geometric diamonds and everything else so it was a different shadow pattern um and a slightly different design as well yeah i love, I love that shirt. i need it i need that shirt in my life for definite the other shirt that i wanted to mention this is like again we're going back to russia is a theme isn't it yeah um, the Russian shirt and this one, this is really interesting. So this is made from Reebok, which is, again, uh, a different name that we haven't heard so far. And this kind of has kind of spikes coming in and out of the shirt around the sleeves and the, the top of the shirt. In So it's a white template, but this kind of geometric pattern, it's very, very different. Um, I had to double check with this one because I didn't really remember it. And then I remembered, oh, Oleg Selenko, of course, scoring that those six, uh, those five goals against Cameroon. But this is a very different kit. And I think one of the best Russia kits I think they've ever had. It's a really exciting one. I can't quite put my finger on what term I would use. It, with the kind of flashes and it's a checkerboard design, isn't it? Um, of course, Russia had switched to their the new national colours of white, blue and red rather than the old Soviet Union red. They've kind of gone back to that now. So it was a very, it was an unfamiliar Russian looking side, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. But yeah, and very interesting kit. And the, and the white um, was the, was the home? The, what was the home? The white was the, the home. home. Yeah. The white was the home. And yeah. The, the away yeah. one was mirrored with blue. And then these, yeah. The only thing it reminds me of, um, QPR had Lotto in the mid 2000s. And they had a template at the time that had these kind of spikes that went in, in and out. <laughs> Um, terrible template. We had it in a way, and we had a third kit that was black and yellow, which is yeah. disgusting. It's kind of like that, but better '90s version. That's the only thing I can compare it. Yeah, to. it's more graceful curves on it. The, 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 the QPR one was very angular, wasn't it? Yeah. it was 
cracked ice. It was yeah. that effect. Yeah, didn't I know, like I know what you mean. Didn't like that at all. Um, Group C, again, another underrated kit for me because people, when they talk about Germany kits, obviously a lot of love for the the 1990 kit. I like this one. It's a very different. It looks like teeth for me on the if anything it's like shark teeth isn't it so you've got the german flag on the shoulders and it's all zigzaggedy looks like teeth and it's, yeah. it's kind of a it kind of mirrors a little bit in the spanking which we'll talk about in a minute but i don't think this one gets a lot of love does it no it, it works so doesn't it i think it, they do look like teeth i think they're supposed to be ger- um eagle feathers oh, I think of course that's, yeah that's the, the the idea the thinking behind it but again you're looking at a design that bearing in mind Virtually every, not all of them, but a lot of Adidas sides are wearing the big colour panels from the Adidas equipment kind of uh, aesthetic. Germany and, and Spain, I guess we'll talk about in a minute as well, something very di- very different, a bit, bit more elegant, but still extending that idea of, you know, throwing the, the national colours at the, the white and black shirt, white and black kit. Yeah, you mentioned the Spain one as well. We'll go on to that. That also has this kind of... Well, it can't be Eagles Feathers for them, I gather. But yeah, it's this teethy effect, something that's now yeah. been t- designed into the new Spain kit. They've taken inspiration from this 94, which is, I think, it's weird because it wasn't a great World Cup for Spain. So it was, it's an interesting idea to go back to a World Cup and a kit that you kind of remember it, but not for the gloriness of the tournament for Spain. But I, it's definitely striking, definitely moved on from their 1990 kit. Uh, very 90s. It, it continues down the shorts as well. Yeah. Um, I, I really like this Spain kit. I'm. Uh, do you know what? I'm not so much of a fan. Although I love the away version. I love yes, the away the version. One. Yeah, that works beautifully. But I think with the home one, a, a kind of trick a lot of designers, um, a lot of kit companies will do, to make a kit more elegant and sophisticated, they'll tone down the colours so they they won't make them so heavily saturated. And that feels to me that's what they've done with this. They've got rid of the the blue raw blue shorts. And they've gone for this navy, and it just dulls it down a bit for me. Um, I like to see Spain in raw blue shorts, black socks, you know, that kind of combination. Yeah, yeah. So, but again, it's a, um, the away one was, was, a, was a classic, I think. I love the away one. Yeah, the away one had that kind of stripey kind of in their engraving, didn't they? Which kind of sort of made it a bit more special. I suppose it has that on the home, but you don't you don't see it as much because of the dark colours. Yeah, yeah. because this World Cup, it always, it always reminds me of, very shiny shirts very yeah. Yeah. lots of big shadow patterns glistening in the sun do you know what i mean that yeah. kind of oh what a world cup what a world yeah, cup that was <laughs> very bright and yeah dazzling almost yeah, it was very dazzling talking of dazzling actually great oh. segue <laughs> the career republic what the hell is going on with that shirt this is another one i had to google completely forgot about this kit we're going back to rubicon again um another very small make at the time this yeah. kit i can't describe it you have to go and look at it so it came in uh, all white or they did wear blue shorts uh, for the uh, Bolivia game or then the away kit was all blue but the pattern on it is so hard to describe it's all different cut not very Korean at all it's got yellows in there it's it's all over the shirt and the shorts and the socks they went a bit mad with this one didn't they yeah it's almost like a scrambled TV signal yeah it's it is yeah. just kind of um, disjointed this is what I meant this is a great example of a smaller brand um it feels like they're trying to emulate the big companies and, and not quite hitting it, you know, without being rude, disrespectful. They're not quite hitting hitting the mark on that one. It's a very curious design, that one. Works slightly better in the white, I think. Yeah, I think you can, it's not, it doesn't feel so headachey. No, yeah. <laughs> in, it's in, the, in the white. Yeah, difficult one to pull off, I think. Yeah, I'm just looking at, again, I've Google imaged and looked at the proper shirt and it's, the even the collar, it's got multiple colours in it. it it's, I just don't. I like it, 
but it's just a pattern. I don't know where they've got the idea from. I don't know what it's trying to represent, but uh, maybe one for the next book, John. Yes, I think so. We, we, yeah, mm, I bear that in mind. <laughs> uh, the other team, and that was Bolivia. Quite simple again, Umbro, Polo, Collar, Kit. Uh, Group D, um, again, we see this um, design for Argentina on their away kit in their first game. People remember the Maradona moment against Greece where he looked a little bit out of sorts. I think that's the best way to describe <laughs> it. Um, but that's a beauty of a kit. Um, two-tone blue with the kind of, again, the, I'm calling it teeth kind of, jaggy edgy type of design down one of the uh, halves of the shirt uh, they played Greece with a very simple um, white affair and I think their away their home their home kit was quite simple as well the, the blue very one simple. very simple kit um, Argentina another uh, again it's uh, we're going back to that striking again another striking shirt but it's not one I always go oh not the 86 Maradona shirt but again maybe it's just to do with the tournament Mm-hmm. from Adidas mm-hmm. but again a nice shirt had a nice collar on it and stuff um, Bulgaria in this group they going back to that template again you remember Stoichkov really enhanced that template I think that template did really well in that World Cup because you had Hadji Stoichkov and Brolin and Darlin for Sweden yeah. all yeah. wearing that didn't they stars of the tournament and surprising to see with, with all due respect surprising to see those teams go as far yeah. as they sometimes yeah. you know that's why mm. we like World Cups, and that's why uh, the, the stories make it, especially in 1994. Um, I've rushed through this group because I want to talk about Nigeria. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, we've seen the Nigeria kit for 2018. Um, Nike have done an absolutely stellar job in a slight inspiration from this one and also mixing up kind of what their new sort of era is going to be like. But this 1994 kit, again, it's one that's completely so hard to describe. So it's a white base, then it has these completely all over the kit these kind of little squares that also have kind of patterns in them as well you cannot really see the number or the badge but where does this rank john what what was going on with this kit i well for me i mean again you're looking it's it's symbolizing the, the culture of the country isn't it that's that's what i love about some of these shirts and the african nations do it brilliantly they you really get the feel it's it's um it comes from the nation itself it's got that feel to it i think the green shirt works better because i love that deep yoke going across the shoulders and you know very reminiscent of early 20th century kit design but it's it's just it's just bold and brave and um and feel and fearless it is brave isn't it it's got that you know, we're not afraid of anybody look about it. Yeah, and they weren't. It was a great Nigerian team led by JJ Kotcher in his first, or their first World Cup and the first time we saw him. But I'm just looking at the back of the shirt. I found a picture of Amakachi, Daniel Amakachi of Everton. Who, who goes oh, to Everton. Yes. Yeah. And he's, you could really up close, you see the pattern. It kind of reminds you of all the patterns you see coming out of the, the Marvel film, Black Panther, that, that was the big success yeah. this year. It was kind of of that kind of ilk, isn't it? And then you've got the sort of little diamonds around. It's not so much detail, but it's not to the point where it's too much it just kind of works and I think because the shorts are plain it offsets the shirt very nicely and I've, it's, like, it's a very memorable shirt the Nigeria one they definitely and they did did they wear the pattern shorts as well I can't remember now did they ever wear it in that World Cup I think they wore it in the last game yeah that's that now when you said it it doesn't go too far arguably it might go a little bit too far on the pattern shorts it begins to look rather it has more of a pyjama effect. <laughs> Literally what I was going to say. Yeah, it's a bit pyjama-like <laughs> at that point. But yeah, a, a very, very memorable kit from Nigeria. Uh, moving on to Group E. Um, again, Norway had that the, the Tifi template, I'm going to call it, and their away kit. Um, not, and then they went for the uh, the template that we talked about, Romania, for their home kit. So interesting mix that they'd done the two um, Adidas templates on that yes. one. Um, a very simple Diodora kit for Italy. Again, stylish as we come to expect. Really like their away one actually on this one. The white shirt, really simple, but the little details around the collar, I remember, had the little triangles. That's right, little geometric patterns, yeah. That was a really nice shirt. Um, the island one is fondly remembered. 
Um, the Island Away is one that I really, really like because this is unusual to any kit. I think no, no kit was like this at the World Cup. I'm not sure you'll be able to let me know, John, if they did another kit like this or it was just for Ireland. So it was three bold green stripes set against a white template and then they faded as they went down with this orange um, outline. So again, incorporating the country's colours, really stylish kit. Was this something that they did just for Ireland or were there more examples of this? Do you yeah, know? I don't recall seeing it for anybody else. Um, but it's a great example, isn't it, of that fading print uh, motif that Adidas began to, to put out throughout their kits. Rather than saying there's a hard and fast line between a colour and a second colour, they're saying, no, actually, no, let's fade it. Let's do do different things. And it's all about being different, but still having identity and tradition, although I'm not sure about tradition on that one, but certainly the identity of the country is there. Um, and, of course, I think they were, I can't remember the exact story off the top of my head, they didn't wear it against Italy, did they? Italy wore white, yeah. but I believe there was a bit of a, a kerfuffle going on between the light and dark, because, of course, at this stage, I think even, even now still, World Cups need to have a light shirt and a dark shirt. Yeah, silly balls, um, yeah. That's right. So there was something happened there with uh, a mix-up about who was to wear what colour. But I think the um, the island shirts, the home shirts, are real kind of like, a, yeah, mismatch in a way. But it, that works as well for me. Mm. They, I remember them wearing that away shirt against Mexico in their second game, and Mexico were wearing green. And I was surprised they got away with that kind of. That was a bit of a clash. Um, this Mexico kit was quite understated to the one we're going to talk about in 1998. Yeah, and of course, as well, you, you don't get the issue with shorts clashes. So, uh, you, you know, both teams are wearing white shorts. It wasn't a problem. As long as the shirt and the socks are different, that's the uh, the main thing. Mm. The, the only other kit I want to talk in this group, and it's one, again, I've gone back to and, and have a proper look at, because it's one I didn't remember until I was looking back, is the Mexico away kit. Now, yeah. what I, I've said this for the third time, but I think this takes the biscuit for the most ridiculous amount of colours and patterns on one shirt there is I, I think four different patterns on the top of this away kit <laughs> something like that I, I, I you know I really like it I think the home shirt was actually quite relatively sedate yeah. wasn't it I yeah. think Mexico had they'd signed with Umbro not long before that and they had a short-lived white home shirt white and green green panels on either side so they'd gone back to their traditional colours but the away one again you're looking at Mexico, like the African nations, have got such a rich um, language of icons and symbols and everything else. And I think that's where that's pulling from Mexican um, cultural iconography. I think it's great. I love it. Yeah, I, I tried to again try to describe the patterns. It's almost impossible because there's, oh, there's, yeah. there's red and gold stripes in there. There's one that looks like a tea cloth. It's it's all very odd. I mean, nothing compares to Georgie Campos and his goalkeeping kits, but that's a whole different kettle of fish. No. Well, that was, uh, yeah, that was going on as well. So yeah. design, design them himself. That must have been a kit clash that day. Watching that those teams come out to that kit, and then Georgie Campos wearing whatever he designed that day. I mean, I love Georgie Campos, but they those kits are absolutely amazing but at the same time ridiculous looks like a looks like a clown <laughs> but love yeah. them love them the final group of yeah i say 94 um yeah i mean again this is probably one of the most uh well the morocco kits don't be interesting but what isn't as striking as the rest of the groups i would say again there's that word uh belgium morocco netherlands and saudi arabia the saudi arabia kit's quite simple it's got some nice detailing around the collar and around the shoulders um, the Belgium as well has, the, has a nice detail. Diodora coming into the Belgium at the time. They've got some nice outline using some sort of 
the, the colours of the Belgian flag and some different patterns. Um, too much white on there for me, Ash, on the home kit. I, didn't, oh, okay. I, I struggled with that because I think, you know, having that colour scheme of red, red, gold and black is, you know, you're onto a winner all the way. So why bring in lots of extra white just unbalances it for me. Mm. Uh, Netherlands had a, a little bit of blue added to their kit. I think this is quite a nice... Um, Holland kit. This is the first time we'd seen a bit of blue added for for as long as I can remember. Certainly for the sort of last two decades. But a nice polo effect made by Lotto as well, which is an interesting choice. What do you make of the Holland kit? Um, yeah, the Holland one. It's do you know what? It's not my favourite, and I've never been able to figure yeah. out why. I can't put my finger on why why I didn't gel with that shirt. I think it's nice that they started to bring in. Um, historical colours. I think uh, in the 60s, there was a bit of blue on the sh- on the socks turnovers okay. for the Netherlands. But to bring that into the home shirt, it was, again, it's saying, okay, we're not just orange and white or orange and black. We're going to throw something else there. So it was a brave design. So we're starting to see designers flexing their muscle a little bit more. Um, but, yeah, I don't know quite why. I don't, I don't know. It's okay. Yeah. Mm, okay, yeah. We'll talk about the, the, the next kit in 98 because I quite like that one. But the final kit of 1994 we're going to talk about is Morocco. This is an interesting one. Again, made by Lotto. Uh, template of one, the home strip was red, the away strip was green. Um, faded colours, collar, and then they had the, a big, massive Moroccan symbol, which made it difficult where to put the. Uh, uh, number. I think they put that where the badge was, didn't they, instead? But they're big, the, the actual Morocco badge is huge on the front yeah. of the shirt. Something you like? Yeah, I think it works okay. I think it's okay. Lotto, their, their kits at the time were almost leisure wear. Like they, they were really quite ahead of the game in terms of saying, let's make a shirt that looks like a polo shirt that you could play golf in. It was a kind of blending of, of genres there a bit. But I think it's okay. And I, and I love, this is what I love about World Cups, is seeing these shirts come up thinking crikey where did that come from mm. you know it's it challenges your perception of what a kit can be just looking at it again it's like two different shirts isn't it because at the top of it has got this moroccan style pattern that's quite yeah. a bold green and then the second half of it is kind of pinstriped um faded in green and white it's really i like it kind of works it shouldn't do but it really does work it's it's almost like you wanted Morocco to go further in the tournament so you could see more of that shirt. Cause it's... Because you couldn't quite believe your eyes. <laughs> yeah, that's 1994 seen... for you. But I think, yeah, that's it. But I think Lotto, to their, to their credit, were always teetering. They were just on the edge of it being brilliant and awful. And they, they got it just right, I think. And sometimes maybe they didn't. But this Morocco one does it for me. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, no, it does it for me as well. And as I mentioned, Lotto's QPR... Uh, era wasn't the best they had their moments but for the majority they didn't quite get it right but when they get it right i agree they they kind of they kind of get it bang on right 1998 we're moving four years on uh, there's more groups in this one so we will try and get through as quickly as possible because if you're not a, if you realize we like kits so we could talk all day but oh, that's... sorry i'm going on too much <laughs> no i think we it's fine i could talk all day i'm sure the listeners are enjoying our look back at these 90s kits uh, from the world cups um let's start with group a then a uh, classic scotland one for you this is the the collar big badge in the middle this is very much the era of the big badge in the center as well we're heading into the yeah. sort of late 90s where does this scotland kit rank in yours do you know what? It's not good for me. No? It was the first, I'll be honest with you now, I don't think I've ever confessed this, it was the first <laughs> Scotland shirt I never bought as a replica. Oh, really? Um, I think I loved the one before, this, this sometimes happens, I loved the one before it so much, it was almost like a little protest to myself in a way that I wouldn't buy it because I, I wanted them to wear the other kit in the World Cup. The, is that the tartan one we'll be talking about? No, the one after the tartan with the, the big, um, big pointy collar and oh, the big yes. piping. 
And of course, England wore their equivalent of that design in the World Cup, and I wanted Scotland to do it. And I, I felt that this turnaround came a little bit too quick, and the design didn't just gel with me. And uh, yeah, that was a little, yeah, a bit of a bugbear there, Ash. Mm. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> what about the away one? The yellow one? Was it yellow, wasn't it, for the away? Uh, yeah, then that was great. I love that one. I think that worked really well. Very rich shade of yellow, almost amber, really, wasn't it? Um, but again, it, it was another disappointing World Cup for us. So, but again, the away works better than the home, in my, in my, my opinion. Mm. Uh, the, the people will talk about the Brazil kit on this one, um, mainly because, again, they went quite far into the tournament. It's known for the... It's Ronaldo's kit, isn't it? When you think of Ronaldo, you can't... You genuinely, yeah. The original Ronaldo art on iron, you think of this kit. But to be honest, John, I'm not really a fan of this kit. It's a bit no. too boring for me. Okay. I don't I don't mind it. I think we... It, it was a return to the round there, of course, yeah. we hadn't... Which so many people... Are, associate with Brazil um, they kind of not pioneered it but they, they made it their own in a way so the round neck came back the crew neck in 94 of course the shade of blue of the shorts went to a royal blue yeah. a slightly deeper blue we see that again here it's um, it's okay it's quite it's uh, yeah I don't know not, I, I kind of get where you're coming from but I don't mind it I quite like it I just, yeah I, just, I think I love the 94 so much Kit. I just think this mm-hmm. was a bit of a come down it does remind me of the, the airplane advert at the time the Bahia of course yeah and then, and, it was a, and then it was a great tournament a great uh, for them almost until the final of course but yeah the kits now didn't really resonate with me that one um, elsewhere in group A Morocco were back again they, this kit isn't quite as as nice and as bold as the uh, the four years ago um, this has kind of just got a it's just Puma now instead of uh, Lotto right. it's got a red stripe across the middle of it um, and then alternate on the uh, away kit with a white and a red stripe it's okay um, there's nothing really to write home about um, Norway very uh, not quite template like Scotland but very similar wasn't it it had the big mm-hmm. collar um, and then the away kit had a, a bottom stripe on it if I remember rightly and then the navy one quite a, a smart set of kits for Norway I suppose but <laughs> Yeah, good. I mean, good, good colour scheme. I think having the navy blue offsets the red and white really well. Um, but again, Umbro, it was a more, more is more. And Umbro, I think, were beginning to overdo it slightly sometimes. And there seemed to be lots happening on those shirts. Yeah, they did to be. Uh, moving on to Group B, and then let's go back to Cameroon. They seem to be a theme on this one. Uh, they were Puma this time, so they've got an Adidas from Mitre to Puma. Um, I think this is probably the, my least favourite Cameroon shirt of the decade. I think too much is going on with this Puma shirt. So again, the striking three colours of green, yellow and red, but on the actual shirt, you've got a yellow bold panel on each side. There's a bit going on around the collar. There's some pinstripes. There's a bit around the top of the collar. Too much going on for Cameroon for this one? Totally agree. I, um, I think you're absolutely right, and and that symbolises a lot of '98 for me. Was that it was it was too much. Everything was more, more, more. Um, and I think in the in the 2000s with the new millennium, everyone pared it back down again. So you, you're seeing a kit cycle reaching almost the end of its um, extravagant period. Mm. Austria went for a similar pattern as well, same didn't design. they? Same yeah. design on that one. Doesn't I think because Cameroon's colours are so bright. It, do, it it stands out more because the Austria kit doesn't look like there's too much going on because it's only black, white and red. So yeah. it's an interesting way to, to use colours. But I think with Cameroon, you've got to be careful because it's so colourful. Um, Italy had, a, again, I think it goes about the same with Italy. Their, their kits are always stylish, always very nice, but there isn't really ever a lot to them. Is what I always think. No, and, and incredibly, they still weren't allowing manufacturers yeah. labels on the shirts. So we're still seeing um, a blank there, which is you know quite quite an odd thing, isn't it? The the other thing, actually, looking at the Cameroon and Austrian shirts, this World Cup was the first one where you, you began to see com- combining different fabric styles 
for breathable um, kind of tea bag air textile fabrics. So I think a lot of the time the, the instinct of designers was just to color those differently. So that's when we're starting to see side panels coming in mm-hmm. because they were saying different fabric. I know, let's make it a different color. So almost technology was driving the design a bit there. Yeah, and the only other one I mentioned is probably one of my favourite kits. Massive. I mean, it's a massive nod to the manufacturers because Reebok went all out. It reminds me when Pony did the Southampton kit and did a, a yeah. Pony symbol on the front of the shirt. <laughs> but for me, this kind of works. I know it's a bit over the top for a manufacturer's logo. It reminds me of Marcelo Salas scoring at Wembley in a friendly earlier that year. Um, it's got a massive Reebok symbol, the, the two jagged edges of the Reebok logo on the cross at the top of it. But... It kind of stands out for me. It's one yeah. that I really remember. It's great, isn't it? I mean, the Russian war, they wore five yeah. different versions of that design. Interestingly, though, I don't know. I need to double check this. I think the Chile logo, the Reebok logo on the Chile shirt, looks slightly altered. And I'm wondering if it was a regulation to say, hang on, you can't have the logo that big. Because yeah. it should be another little curved panel underneath the, um, the, the main flashy bit. So... Was there something happen? Actually, you can see two different versions of the shirt online. So I'm suspecting FIFA might have said, do you know what, let's tone that logo down a bit. Mm, Yeah, you could be right on that one. Uh, Moving on to Group C, there's four very different kits, uh, home kits in this group. So the France one, let's go back to the iconic kits. Again, they won the tournament, but this kit is a very, very famous kit. It's probably France's most famous, other than maybe the mid-80s when they had Platini. But this kit, again, a very unique design with the bold red stripe and then three white stripes and then the tricolour on the shoulders. But it's, it's a very famous, very pleasing design from the French, isn't it? I think it, it, you, looking at what Adidas are doing now, they actually they kind of went back to Euro '84, um, and obviously France hosting it, and they resurrected that, that yeah. combination of stripes. So they were almost looking at that that retro, modernising retro look way back then. My criticism of it was that it was it was too much. It was like there's pipe, a lot going on, yeah. Piping on piping on colour on panel, and it, it was just more 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 again and took the edge off it a little bit for me. Um, but really shiny fabric again, wasn't it, if I remember correctly? Really yeah. dazzling, you know. Yeah, obviously remember that World Cup final with them 3-0. Oh, um, yes. this, I mean, this kit, this group, I mean, and then you've got Denmark and Hummel, which whatever they seem to do seem to work for Denmark <laughs> and Hummel, even when it's... This one's kind of one of their more sort of simple designs, but again, just having those yeah. Hummel logos down the shoulders and... The Can't go wrong, can you? It just Can't works. It just, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think Borough have got Hummel next season. I'm very jealous. Uh, see, I love Hummel. Yeah, yeah. I love Hummel. Well, the Charlton kits of this season um, were really nice as well, so they've always done great stuff. I think there should be more yeah. Hummel coming back into the game. Then the two, as we remember, this small nation thing, um, although it was Adidas and Kappa at the time who did these two kits, the Saudi Arabia kit, simple sort of polo style, but had these weird triangle effects going on up and down these sleeves and part of the shirt. And then the South Africa shit, uh, shirt is one, yet yeah, hard to explain again, where you've got lines coming in from each part of the shirt some are yellow some are black you've got green panels on the sleeves there's so much going on with this south african shirt it doesn't work for me <laughs> i it just makes me smile and I, don't, <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or not it's um I, I love the fact they've got an extra badge on there as well so they've, they've got two badges in you know kappa logo and a number all competing for space it's full-on isn't it i think kappa i think they kitted out somebody else as well so uh, jamaica i think wasn't it was it jamaica that was yeah. it it's definitely, they're, they're making a statement with that. But interesting, going back to that Saudi kit, I never realised, I just, that bypassed me that that was Adidas. There wasn't a lot of three-stripe three branding on that, was there? No, not at all. I don't think there's any, actually. Looking, um, extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. 
that's very subtle for Adidas. Um, yeah, but that, I mean, the, the Kappa one for South Africa, I'm looking at some of the, the Google Image shirts. I mean, Kappa, for me, are renowned for having shirts that are just too tight for any football supporter to wear. But, <laughs> but that one didn't sit, from the pictures I'm looking at, although it's very shiny, it doesn't seem to be as tight. So maybe we haven't reached the era when they decided to tighten all their shirts. Um, but yeah. No, I think, was this the World Cup where the shirt pulling was the big thing? Or was that? Mm, could have been. Yeah, because I think the Euros, mightn't it? It might have been. I think Kappa, their their skin tight kind of the combat range was launched in a in a direct kind of uh, addressing of that problem. So this might have been Kappa's last because all the shirts we, we must mention all the shirts of this tournament were huge. Frankly, yeah, that was that, that part of the era where for some reason shirts went very very baggy, didn't they? Yeah, makes clothes look bigger, bigger. Yeah, yeah that maybe right. that's my reason. Um, the Group D um, again, not a lot going on. Nigeria much more understated. Really disappointingly, they went to Nike, um, and it's a very standard V-neck shirt, nothing like the 1994 effort. So I'm glad Nike have redeemed themselves in 2018. Um, the um, I think I really like the Paraguay shirt. Really, uh, the button-up collar. Don't see many of that at the time. I really like that one from Reebok. And they didn't go interestingly. They didn't go for the big Reebok logo on that. Paraguay yeah, you would have thought that had been on there. Mm. Um, and then Spain, um, again, they've gone for a more traditional look, although they're still a navy blue rather than yeah. the, uh, the the royal blue that we we prefer. I think I'm with you on that one. Um, I remember they had the navy at Euro 96 as well, so it was something of the time they went for this. Um, again, but it's, this group's very sedated compared to the other ones, I think, and the Bulgaria shirt is a Puma template with panels. It's that same one again, yeah. isn't it? Again, it doesn't look as bad, does it? On that on that template, rather than the Cameroon, I think it's the colours. Yeah, and also I think it's um, it's uh, the big curved panels. I think they they feel to me now they feel so old hat. They they're incredibly dated. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's that's um, what jars me a little bit now. Group E is a is a very a very nice collecting mix of kits. Um, let's talk Mexico. <laughs> oh yeah, this is uh, this is a classic, isn't it? I mean. Um, talk about getting from your heritage as we mentioned already to have this massive motif and I, I say it's kind of engraved but it's so big you, you cannot ignore it it's one of my favorite kind of do you remember that kits when you talk about people lovely color um, and even you know the, the logos do kind of get lost amongst it but I, I admire the, the boldness of this design definitely and it would have been so easy for them to have gone for a more subtle shadow print of that of the the kind of uh, aztec look but they didn't they said no, no no come on let's really go for it let's make it really bold the badges get lost and that's always a little bit of a criticism for me i like to see everything needs legibility but i, I just loved it i love this shirt and again it went through slight cosmetic tweaks and you can read about it in the book james plug again but it goes over its lifespan different shorts were worn and, and slightly different collar design so it's one of those shirts that gradually uh, organically changes mm. it's got mexico written in the, across the middle of it as well which is yeah, really random but yeah i don't know why they did that and it's made by aba i think is that the sponsor the aba sport again yeah. i think they're a mexican yeah. Mex- brand yeah um, the Holland kit is a very nice one this one added black into the mix which I think they've done for their new kit which we won't see obviously at the World Cup but yeah, a shame. Mm. This, this, I think this works it's quite bold isn't it this, this black and it obviously it's remembering Burkham and for me the greatest goal of the 1990s Trevor Sinclair included but it's I, lo- I really like this Holland kit yeah it does work and I think what, what we're seeing here at this point because Nike was still, I wouldn't say they were finding their feet in the football kit world, but they were—they hadn't been around that long in the, in that market. But what you you saw was every kit was clearly Nike. You could recognise it instantly from the stylings, but they were all had their own unique character. And I think they they did that really well at that point. It was a real a real high point for me. 
Mm. I'll go back to Mexico. I remember what we did mention the way it was white and had the motif, and you can see the logos much better on that, can't you? Yeah, they turned that right back down, so yeah, the, the Aztec symbols were were more faded. Mm. Mm. The other two jeans, Belgium had a, a nice kind of shadow pattern in yeah. their Diodora kit. That was I quite like that one. Um, on the other side of it, the Korea one, having gone for the craziness that we've talked about already, very very simple Nike polo yeah. style. Um, effect and and then the Holland had the blue away which we didn't mention which was a very nice with orange socks which is kind of a nice mix it works well I think the only thing I would mention if that's okay with the Belgian kids is that looking back at it now look how modern they were looking they were really ahead of the game yeah they were I yeah I agree they were preempting this kind of um, 2000 minimalist approach so it's it's interesting again to see how who's leading the way here at, at different points and surprisingly it's not always the big brands. Mm, no, I'm, I'm all for small brands. I, I think they do some, 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 some great jobs. Um, moving on to what are we now? Group, there's more groups this time, isn't there? Group F, um, Yugoslavia ran Germany and USA. USA, disappointing. At really, I'd, I'd forgot these kits before I looked at them again. I was like, oh, kind of, yeah. Um, <laughs> Didn't really make an effect, really, especially what we've seen from 1994. It's such a massive jump to these really sort of bog standard Nike templates in white and then navy blue. Oh, no, navy blue and red. So, yeah, yeah I didn't really appreciate those. The Iran kit's very interesting. Now, I remember this because my uh, one of my friends wore this on my stag do. Uh, when we when we did it 2014, we uh, we all went as full kit, um, you know what. You, did, you didn't go to Iraq, did you? No, we didn't go to Iran. No, he pulled, <laughs> a, he did pull Iran out of his hat and he refused to wear an Iran kit and came in a Brazil one. And but this is the kit I remember getting him, and it's got Iran written in the middle. We're even having the flags colours within the letters. It looks like something you see off a market stall for me. <laughs> yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. It's absolutely it's, not... it's cheap looking. And, I mean, it's from Puma, but I don't know why they've got Iran written massively across the chest. It's not doing it for me. I think again, it's it's these nations. They're trying to punch above their weight. They're trying to make a statement. They say, Look, you know, we are we are here. We deserve to be here, and this is us. Some and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. And I think that's one of the ones that doesn't. Uh, what does work? Germany. I think this is much. Uh, again, I think all three kits across the World Cup. I really like this. Again, using the colours of the flag incorporated it into the template with the three yeah. uh, across the middle uh, i think overall i think you can see the kind of transition of the germany kit and the evolution of it and i think all three kits stand up really well i think they go downhill in the next decade but these three as a set I'm, I'm, i really like yeah very elegant and, and that's what we're seeing with some of these kits and even the american one that you didn't like looking at that that trick i mentioned about switching royal blue to navy blue they they did it with Yugoslavia, Adidas, and they did it with USA. So straight away, they're generating a different look, a different appeal. The Germany kit does it brilliantly because, again, it's far more sophisticated. And this was a World Cup with lots of horizontal bars and stripes and everything else. So this kind of horizontal appeal was definitely in fashion. But I love that Germany shirt as well. Yeah, yeah it's a, and there's a nice one. Um, group G was England's group. Um, we had the darts kit, as we like to call it. It looked like flying darts along the side. Um, it's very infamous. I, I can never decide where I rank this England kit. I don't dislike it. I don't love it. But it's uh, compared to some of the recent designs, it's much better than a lot of those. Yeah. A lot going on, but I, it kind of works. I like it. I think when you look at it back now, you wince because it's so huge. It's like a tent. But it's that style that Scotland had as well with the um, the little button and the flag on the, on the yeah, packet. Yeah, that's collar. a lovely touch. And really pointy collars, weren't they? Really pointy. Mm. You almost felt sharp. You could cut your finger on them. But there's that. I, I just think they were, they were really well constructed. And actually, even looking at the sleeves and the seams, 
everything was slightly different. So the, the sleeve seams were actually really small. They're little, almost diddy little things. Um, so it, it was a different way of making shirts. Mm. Now, I re- I, the more I look at it, and I really like the maroony red away one as well. I think they, as a set, again, Umbro, yeah. as we mentioned, ingrained with England. They just worked so well. I really love those era of England kits. Euro 96 included as well. That's another <laughs> classic. Um Columbia, Romania, very kind of stand of their colours uh, and of the templates of the time. Didn't really stand out for me. Tunisia. It's about them, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's a, a Reebok polo effect and then an Adidas template. I mean, there's not really much to say on those. But I think the Tunisia kit, again, we're a small nation trying to make an impact. This is Lotto this time. Um, mm. Had this kind of, it looks, almost looks like a tree that comes out the two sides of the of the kit and then it, it makes like a flary pattern on the sleeves it's one i had to go back and look at because england played them in the opening game as they will do in 2018 and it was repeated in the away version where it's much more um evident because it's the opposite yes. colors but um what do you make of this lotto design well again it, it just makes me think about how with a world cup we're being exposed to different cultures that yeah. have a different visual aesthetic that maybe jars with us initially but for me that's the beauty of it you're looking at this difference you're you're accepting that uh, an african nation has a different visual language to us and it's, it's got to be a good thing surely that we, we're seeing um what makes other countries tick and certainly you know the world's a lot smaller now than it was then but to get a, as a football fan to get a taste of what goes on in other countries and what they uh, what they what they do is really exciting. So I think it's, a, it's an exciting kit, but one that you'd struggle to get away with in the um, Premier League, I think. <laughs> yeah. Oh, imagine the tweets and the top 10 oh, kits list that had come yeah. out of that one. I think they do, <laughs> they do my head in, they do. Um, and our final look at a group of the 1990s. This is possibly the strongest, because this, this wouldn't be out of place in 1994, actually. Other than Argentina, again, a lovely kit, a lot more black this time, black uh, socks, black collar, um, I, I, I always say the same thing with Argentina that it's always a very nice shirt one that we always look forward to seeing I just don't yeah. ever think I ever go oh do you remember that one other than the 86 one but the three other teams in this group so Japan went a bit mad on this one with ASICS classic make there nice simple kit great sort of samurai-ish motif yeah, lovely. on the sleeves and, the sh- and I remember the goalkeeping kit it was at the Fabric of Football event actually this had that motif completely spilled over the front of it really really Again, I'm going to use that word striking and bold. Um, but yeah, and then the two other teams, Croatia, which was their first World Cup. We've come to love this template. They always use the checkerboard. I really like how they used it in this one, though, how it wasn't completely over the whole shirt. Yeah. It was just kind of floating in the middle. And then the away blue one was a work of art. And then finally, Jamaica. We mentioned them earlier when we were talking about Kappa. They went all out again, kind of Black Pantherish in that pattern they had across the yellow shirt and then the black shorts. I think as a whole, this group, really, really interesting, nice set of kits. It's a love, it's a, it's a really good group, isn't it? Um, what there's, there's lots of little touches, you know, the introduction of gold throughout the Argentina shirt. And I saw an example of it at Fabric of Football and it really is, it's a, it almost looks like um, little gold threads. It's, it's beautifully done, really extravagant. But the, the Japan kit is great as well because again, it's national identity. It's drawing on their culture. Same with Jamaica. I think that as much as I, I, I quite like the South African one secretly, the Jamaica one works even better, I think. It's a really um, brilliantly executed design. Slightly abstract, off-centre, asymmetrical, which is what we saw with Croatia as well. So it's a really strong group. 
Yeah, I remember Robbie Earl scoring Jamaica's first World Cup goal in, in, oh, in yeah. that tournament. Um, yeah, big, big. I don't think we'll ever see Jamaica back. I don't think they've ever been close since. But yeah, great kit. Um, kind of summed up the tournament that as well in terms of we talk about kit design. Yeah, the Argentina where we were going slightly simpler and again into the 2000s, but we still had that element of the mid 90s to late 90s with um, Jamaica and Japan. So, I mean, that rounds up kind of each World Cup. John, I'm going to put you on a spot for each one. So you're going to pick a favourite from each tournament. So 1990 favourite? Oh, crikey. I would go for... I'm going to go for Cameroon. Oh, I'm going to agree with you. I love the England kit and it's and it's brilliant and all its glory. But there's just something so 1990 about the Cameroon oh, kit, I, isn't it? I must say, my favourite kit of all time is the Scotland one from that tournament. But because I go on about that all the time, I've deliberately... <laughs> that's given that that's my favourite. Other than that one, Cameroon. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll, I'll abide by that rule because people obviously know my USA 94 obsession. So I'll, I'll put that one to one side. Okay. Um, so what's your favourite of 94? I've got to say USA 94. Can I? <laughs> you can steal it. Can I have that one? You or can Spain have it. Away. USA, I've made some notes. USA 94, Spain away, I would mm. say for 94, yeah. Yeah. If I didn't have, do you know what? I like quite a few. Even the templated ones, but I think I might go for Germany. No, Brazil, of course. What am I talking oh. about? Brazil. Brazil away. <laughs> How could I forget? Yeah, home or away, but slightly above the away. So I'm going Brazil away. Um, and then finally, 98, what sticks out for you? Do you know what? We have we didn't talk about it a lot, but because of its sort of forward thinking approach, I'm going to go for Belgium, Diodora. Oh, okay, yeah, no, I think yeah, it's one we didn't touch on, but I think again because uh, they didn't go back far in the tournament, it's one I've had to go back and look at again. But it's yeah, really... I think they went out very. They didn't have a good tournament, if I remember correctly. Group stage, yeah. They um, it, it, again, it's different. It's forward thinking, and that's what I love with kit design. So that's I go for that one. What, what, what do you think? I think Croatia. I think, yeah, I, oh, okay. I just, yeah. I like the, um, I appreciate how hard it must be with the checkerboard pattern. I really like that one in terms of how it floated. It reminds me of Davos Suker as well, one of my favourite players of all time. And also, a uh, big shout out to the Chile one. I know it's top branding, but it's just something about it just worked for me. Yeah. And so I'd go go with those two. So Good stuff. that's our sort of look back at the, the World Cup kits of the 90s. I think there's, I think it's fair to say it's the best era for kits. I know we're, it's a 90s football podcast. I'm going to say that, but 94 especially, it's there's so much to talk about. And I'm hoping we've covered enough for you to, to get your teeth into. Um, before we go, John, remind everyone again, when's the book out? Where can they buy it? Tell us again. It's True Colours, International Football Kits, The Definitive Guide. It's out in Bloomsbury and it's published on the 17th of May. Available on Amazon, Bloomsbury's website, Waterstones, hopefully everywhere. So, yeah, hope you enjoy it. Hope people enjoy it. Buy it now. And, John, if people want to get in touch and talk to you about kits, where can they get you on the social media? Always happy to do it. Twitter's probably that I'm trying try and do it on everything, but Twitter's my the, the best way, um, and that's True Colors Kits. Or drop me a line, John at TrueColorsFootballKits.com. But always, always a pleasure to talk kits with you, Ash. Yeah, indeed, and always a pleasure to talk to you. And I'm not just saying this because he's online, but John is one of the nicest guys in the industry. So oh. do <laughs> do drop him a line if you want to talk very kits because he thank will. You, we will talk all day, and we both can. Um, John, thank you very much for your time. My today. pleasure, I've loved it. Thank Good you. Good luck with the book. Thank you very much Cheers. for listening. I've been Ash Rowe. This has been Alive and Kicking, the original 90s football podcast. Until next time, keep it 90s.